This is The Science of Sex, a podcast about the ins and outs of the latest research about everyone's favorite topic. Hosted by Dr. Jana, a sex researcher and professor of human sexuality at NYU, and Joe Partavila, the guy who's a fan of sex. Here's Dr. Jana and Joe. Hello, Dr. Jana. Hello. I hate to start the show on a negative point, but... Really? What's negative? You've been doing a great job with the titles of these shows lately. Uh Really, really good. Yeah? Today's... Not feeling it. You're not feeling it? I'm not feeling it. So <laughs> the title of episode 22 is Wrap Your Thing Right. Man. I, I, it was just an, a suggestion. Yeah, just, we, we can We can discuss it. All we right. Can, uh, yeah, that was just a suggestion. You've been on fire lately, and I've been rolling with it, and then I looked down, I'm like, wrap your thing right? I don't know about that, <laughs> but... All right, we'll 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 get into what that means. But, but it's really important to wrap it right. Right, your thing right though. Yes. What does that mean? Your foot, your 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 no, toe, your penis. Oh, your penis. All right. Do you want to do you want to call it wrap your penis right? No. Does that sound better? That, 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 that's, that's a little uncouth, <laughs> isn't it? Do you have better suggestions? No, I'll work on it. Let me think about it. Let's get the show started. <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, but if you do like this show outside of the titles, uh, make sure you rate and review us on iTunes. Click on the stars. Give us like the maximum number of stars. Like when like if you're 17? In a, 17? I don't think that's a thing. Oh. Uh, but yeah, you go to the max number of stars. Sort of like what you do with your Uber driver. Do you usually just automatically give the most stars on your Uber when you do that? I give them most stars if they're if they were good if they were fine. See, that's what yeah, I do. It's yeah. sort of like unless I, it's a horrible experience, I automatically give the mm-hmm. five because those guys live by it. And, and we're we're sort of like your Uber drivers. <laughs> we we are your uh, sex science Uber drivers. Uber driver. <laughs> the other way you can treat us like your Uber drivers that you like, you can support us on Patreon. Wow, the segways. <laughs> I mean. Dr. Jana, two months ago, you would not have been able to pull off that segue, but look at how much I've taught you about podcasting I, and broadcasting. I've been learning. You've come a long way. <laughs> yeah, so you've got the Patreon page, which is patreon.com slash Jana, and that's where people can get sort of like bonus stuff that they normally wouldn't get yes. if they listen to the podcast or go went to your website. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we just gave out our first sex toy oh. to one lucky winner among the, our Patreon subscribers. Awesome. So, what was the sex toy, just out of curiosity? It was a vibrator. A vibrator, yes, okay. like a clitoral vibrator. No, all right, so it wouldn't do any use for me, right? Not on your body necessarily, but you know, on your female partner. partner? Sure. But also, you can actually you can use vibrators on on men too. You know, it feels good. Vibration feels good no matter what your gender or bits oh, are. Okay. So you can play around with vibration. Oh, so you it's like a sharper never... image type thing where you put it on your back kind of thing? No, no, you don't put it on your back. No, no, no. Yeah, stick to the genitals. I mean, you can put it on your back, but yeah. I-, I would use it for the genitals, yeah. Okay. Uh-huh. Wow. All right. Have you ever put a vibrator on your penis? No. Well, maybe you should try. It feels good. Vibration feels good. Wait, so you take the vi- the vibrator, which is the shape of a penis, right? Uh, well, depends on the vibrator. Some vibrators are shaped like penises. Some are not. Some, oh, okay. Uh, so you take that vibrator and then uh-huh. you just put it against the wiener and then just yeah, let it shake? Yeah, Shake. Huh. <laughs> I, I don't know. Listen. Yeah, it will, it'll, it'll feel nice and good because vibration feels good, people. All right. Yeah. Is, 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 Put it on your head. That sounds like the name of another episode. <laughs> yeah, we Vibrations. should totally have some, someone to talk about vibrators. Vibrations we should have Dr. Debbie Herbenick to talk about vibrators. Oh, only if there's like a real scientific study because I know you're there a There is a real scientific okay. study on sex toys, Good. yes. Because every once in a while you call me out with, all oh, these studies aren't a national representative thing and all that thing. Actually, there's a national representative study on sex toys. There is? All right, yes, cool. that I'm thinking of. All right, so we already got the title. We just got to make sure we... <laughs> what was the title again? Make, we, make things... Vibration make, makes you feel good or something like that? No, that's a terrible title. Oh. What's wrong? It, how what how you did said? you make it to uh, on I, radio uh, for 20 years without these titles? I don't know. I must have just been a terrible a terrible broadcaster mm. all these years. But yeah. all right, so cool. So we'll work on that. But so today's episode, episode 22, Wrap Your Thing Right. And we're going to have Dr. Cynthia Graham from the University of Southampton in the UK to talk about condoms and condom errors that people make. Does she know that we're titling the episode Wrap Your Thing Right? Uh, no, because we haven't titled it officially. Okay. You're like telling people about this before it's done. <laughs> I feel uncomfortable about this. So it's almost like a people spoiler? Are, yeah, and, and people are getting this glimpse into my the workings of my mind that are not necessarily ready to be out there in the public. Well, it's all about opening yourself up, Dr. John. Have Making you myself vulnerable. Yes. Yeah, intimacy. That yeah. would explain a lot. What's going on? Wait, no, I probably what? shouldn't get into that. No, hey, we gotta get going here. <laughs> the Science of Sex. Foreplay. All right. So, Dr. Jonham, yes. I know you are not a fan of conventional wisdom. 
because every once in a while I'll be like, you know, women don't like casual sex. And you're like, women like casual sex as much as anybody. No, that's mm. not true. Well, it's sort of true. We've had no, this discussion. No, it's not true. I know it's not true, but I'm just saying I'm going by conventional wisdom. And then when I bring that up, you shoot me down about that. So I have some more conventional wisdom for you, okay? okay. That you can just jump on me about, okay. okay? There's conventional wisdom that says women usually regret having a one-night stand. You'd agree that that's conventional wisdom? Yes. Okay. Whew, all right. Good. I agree. I'm going to make it out of here alive. Okay. That feels like it's pretty outdated thinking, though, because according to a new study, it is. Researchers in Norway, those Norwegians, they ought to get freaky, Dr. Sean. They Shana. are, yeah. yeah. They, they are. Like uh-huh. I said, they are. Uh, <laughs> they found that women like one-night stands as long as these two conditions are met. You ready? And I okay. think you probably know what they are, you being Dr. Jana. But one, they're the ones who initiated it. Okay. Number two, the other person was good at getting it on. <laughs> okay. So let's say you, Dr. Jana, it seems pretty clear cut. So the women like the one I'd stand as long as they did the, one of those two things. Okay, well, conventional wisdom says women usually regret having a one-night stand. Now, usually regret would assume more than half the time, maybe 70 or 80% of the time, okay. they they regret their one-night stands. That is inaccurate. That is. That is inaccurate. Okay. This study and other studies have found that Although women are more likely to regret it than men are, it's not like 80% of women are regretting it. It's more like 30% of women are regretting it. 30, 40 maybe percent of women are regretting it. And very often that regret is not just pure like, oh my God, this was horrible. I regret everything about it. It's usually mixed in with some ambivalence, with some positive feelings around that, some something that they liked, mm-hmm. and then also something that they didn't like about that. So it's not this black or white kind of thing. And in fact, this study that you're citing, they found that 35% of women and 20% of men regretted the experience to some degree. Okay. Right? So it's not like all women or most women regret it. Right. It's still a minority of women who regret it. And there's also a minority of men who regret it. The conventional wisdom that you cite that I often have problems with is that it presents things as super black or white. Like women, all women or most women regret casual sex and all men or, or most men never regret casual yeah. sex. And that's just not true. Yes, there is a gender difference with men regretting it less often and wanting it more so than women, but it's all not right. either or. All right, so let's break down these two parameters. Okay. Like why the initiation, why do you think that's <laughs> So important. Right. So very often, I mean, there are so many reasons why casual sex, especially one night stands, which is a very, very casual version of casual sex. Right. Yeah. You could have casual sex in less casual versions, like with friends now, with benefits. You're or talking about like something that. you're not familiar with, so just yeah, do yeah, your best. Right. Okay. To work, I'm, I'm, to, to work I'm, this I'm out. I'm gonna try. I'm gonna try. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I'm sure I read about it somewhere. Okay. Uh, good. Good. D- during my undergrad studies. Yeah. <laughs> no, but so when you have a one night stand, there are so many reasons why you might end up not particularly liking it or not enjoying it, mm-hmm. uh, like very often it's because sex is not particularly good. Very often in these hookup scenarios, the men are not very caring and giving and and trying to make the woman feel good. And, they only care about their own business. They often feel very selfish around uh, around that experience. And they'll say that in studies. They'll say that to female interviewers in their face, they'll <laughs> say, well, you know, if it's my girlfriend, I'm. I, it's a badge of honor to give her an orgasm. But if it's a casual hookup, I don't give a fuck about her. Wow. And of course, so I'm romantic. not saying that all men do no. this, but it is more common mm-hmm. that the men are not particularly giving or caring in that hookup context. And the women themselves often don't necessarily kind of know what they need or or ask for what they yeah. need. And so they don't end up getting as much sexual pleasure out of the experience. That's one of those factors that when you ask women, like, why don't you like hookups or why don't you go in for hookups? They'll say, well, they're not very sexually pleasurable. So that second point that you you mentioned there yeah. that if they know this is a good lover who's going to provide a good sexual experience for them, then of course that's going to increase their interest in having having a hookup in the first place. The other one with the initiation, I think that makes sense that if they're initiating, they have a lot more agency and an intrinsic motivation to engage in it. And of course, if you're doing something because you really want to do it, mm-hmm. like you wouldn't be initiating something if you didn't really want to do it. Right. So, and if you really want to do something, like of course that you're going into it wanting it and if you want it, you're probably going to enjoy it and not regret it as much the next day, even if it wasn't like the most amazing yeah. experience, still 
you kind of went into it with all the sense of power and, and agency and initiation. Uh, very often, I think what happens in with one night stands is the women are not necessarily the ones initiating it. The guys are more likely to push for it mm. because of all the reasons that guys are more yeah. likely to initiate mm. and and uh, want these kinds of experiences. And so, if the the women feel like they're doing it because they're sort of going along or because of some other motives, like some of my own research shows that when you have casual sex for motives that are not intrinsic to you, like not, it's not because you really want it, but because say all your friends are doing it or your partner is kind of nagging you to do it, or you are hoping maybe it's not going to be a one night stand and it's going to lead to something more or because you're drunk and kind of just like, ah, whatever going along with it. So if you have casual sex for all of those reasons, then your mental health afterwards is going to suffer. You're going to feel worse about that experience than if you went into it because you were like, hot about that person and you just wanted to get laid and you wanted this fun sexual experience, then it's going to be a much more positive. How much of the initiation do you think control has to do with? Because a lot of day, you know, the big debate these days about how much control women have mm. in this situation. Do you think that plays a big part in it as well? Where mm. they like, hey, listen, I want this and, and we're going to do it on my terms. I think to some extent, yeah. But having a sense of autonomy in your experiences, in everything you do, not just sexually, yeah. is, is important for having a good, satisfying, emotionally, kind of psychologically fulfilling experience. There's a great theory called self-determination determination theory and a lot of research that has uh, gone into showing that we kind of have these three psychological needs. The What's it called again? I want to put in my Google. Self-determination self? theory. Okay, all right. It's a, it's a sort of a big theory. There are a lot of different components of it, but one of the components is this argument that humans have three basic psychological needs, at least, you know, maybe maybe there's some more, yeah. but uh, three basic psychological needs that, that the authors call psychological nutrients, just like food you know, as nutrient, it's a physical nutrient for our bodies that these needs, we have our psychological nutrients for our soul kind of thing. All right, so give them to me. What are the three? One is autonomy. Oh, all right. The control, all right. <laughs> the control. Got it. Got like it. When we feel that we do the things that we do because of our own volition, because we have control in that situation, we're not being kind of forced or coerced or, or driven by some like guilt or shame or those kinds of things. Like we're doing things because we really want to. Right. That's correlated with positive uh, psychological and physical out- physical health outcomes even too. Then the other one is competence. Hmm feeling that we're good at what we do, that we're competent and capable of doing the things that we're, we're doing well. Wow. So you can even transfer that into sex as well. Absolutely. Because you're confident in that sexual intercourse because you feel good about yourself and you feel like you're bringing joy to both Absolutely. people involved. Yeah, oh, okay. exactly. I like you, that. You have the skills, you have the knowledge, you kind of feel confident about what you bring to the table in this uh, interaction. And then the third need is relatedness, feeling close and connected to other people. So you want mm. to have a kind of a human connection. We're social beings as humans, right? We need other people to kind of thrive and survive and feel good. And the more you can meet your need for feeling that that human connection. And very often people think, well, you can't have that in, in casual sex. You can have that in casual hookups because it's just a one night stand yeah, or whatever. I do but, see that though, yeah. But, but you still can. I mean, we can connect you with can, human but it's, beings. You don't need it, right? It's not necessary. Well, you don't need it, but the more the more of that you get the better the experience is for everybody involved. I guess so, yeah. And you can certainly foster some level of closeness and intimacy and passion even in 15 minutes, even in two hours. You know, Right, without getting into that love territory. Sure, it doesn't have to mean we're going to get married and spend the rest (laughs) of our lives together after this, but you can have sex that is completely kind of detached from and devoid of intimacy and passion and closeness, or you can have sex that is very passionate and intimate, even with someone that you don't necessarily know very mm. well, or even if, if you, you know you're not going to see them ever again. So the more of that you can bring in, the more uh, the better it's going to feel. You know, it's funny, you, you, all this, because we're, we've kind of got into psych territory, which is kind of cool because I got D in Psychology 101 in college. So this, oh is, my this God. is really good. Again, all right, boy, don't shame <laughs> me about that. But the one thing I've noticed, that, like a couple things you mentioned about like the way people think, do you think in a way you have to be a bit of a sociopath to get involved in casual sex and not care about the other person because you're devoid of the other person's feelings and you only care and I'm just saying I'm, I'm not saying full on sociopath but you have to have almost those tendencies if you don't care about what the other person is feeling in that moment 
I don't think you have to be a sociopath oh, no, no, or no. have sociopathic tendencies. <laughs> no, true, yeah, yeah. But I think people who do have sociopathic tendencies certainly have an easier time with just not really caring and giving and, and being present in the moment, aside from the selfish pleasure that they're getting for themselves. So yeah, I think there's no doubt, and research does show that people who do have these more, we call them dark triad traits. So people who Whoa. are yeah, high, uh, low. Man, I feel I should already get like a C plus just from this, but go ahead. <laughs> what are dark triad traits? Well, one is called Machiavellianism, which oh, is sure. the end uh, justifies the means. Mm-hmm. And then uh, kind of low grade psychopathy, which is you know kind of like <laughs> the socio- sociopath, sociopathy yeah. to, to some extent. And the third is narcissism. And mm. so this is c- kind of a constellation of traits that, that have people with low empathy lack of sort of care about other people, selfishness, feeling like you are the best and whatever it is that you do is is justified and, and so on. And the people who score high on these dark triad traits, they also do, to, especially men, they tend to have higher interest in casual sex. Makes sense. Because it sort of makes sense. Now, yeah. that is not to say that people who score low on these traits don't have any interest in casual sex. It's just that there are somewhat more of these I don't know, assholes, <laughs> if, if I may call them that, uh, among the men who are like really into and con- constantly seeking out casual sex without... Uh, Satisfy the other person. Yeah. Thing. Now, let me ask you, because I know how much you love personal questions. How do you handle when you have an interaction, say, you know, casual encounter or a date with someone who exhibits some of the dark triad? Like you as a partner, how would you handle that? Oh, that's an interesting question. Well, huh. I mean, do you call them out at the moment? Be like, yo, dude, what's what's going on here? This isn't just about you. People listening right now who, who, who just yeah, enjoy yeah. having sex with other people <laughs> and they run, may run into someone like this. Like, what's a, what's a good way to handle something like that? Well, it depends on how much I think. F- f- so for women, when I especially when I talk to women, because this tends to be more true of men. I think for women, there is also a, a bit of a correlation between dark triad traits and casual sex, but it's not as strong as it is for, for men. So I think in heterosexual hookups Mm -hmm. when women are interacting with these guys the advice that i would give to people depends on how much they feel confident getting what they want without a lot of input or care from the other person right so sometimes if you're if you're going in just wanting an orgasm and you know that you know as long as he can provide a hard dick and (laughs) and or a couple of fingers or whatever that you can maneuver around in the position that you need them to be or doing the things that you need done and and you don't necessarily need or expect a lot of that intimacy and relatedness and and passion then by all means go ahead and do that but if you're someone who one is needing or or wanting at that moment a bit more connected kind of sex even if it's a one-night stand but you want it to be a little more passionate and connected and or two you're someone who's not very assertive about what you want then probably i would stay away from the high dark triad guys because like very often they're very hot and charismatic (laughs) they are they're the tall dark stranger kind of prototype and they tend to be kind of charismatic in terms of seducing people but they're not going to be a very good and giving and attentive caring lover so if you are an assertive person you could you would call them out in the middle of this so yeah yeah i mean i because you are that person. i am very assertive (laughs) so i know exactly what i want sexually i am very assertive and when people are not providing the kind of thing that i want then i am very good at directing and asking for it what i found is that even these guys who are not necessarily going to... So I, I have certainly hooked up with plenty of uh, of them because some of them are so damn hot. <laughs> you oh, just can't. I can't. You know what you're, 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 what's going to happen. I know what I'm getting myself into, <laughs> yeah. but I just can't help it. And I, and I want those beautiful bodies and sexy faces and, and, and whatnot. So I found that even these guys, if you ask for what you want, they're going to try to provide it most of the time. Like they're the not guys, like thick. They're not obtuse. They, they realize yeah, that they're, they're probably not... not, a, not uh, like, actively evil they're not there specifically saying i'm actively going to not give her an (laughs) orgasm and just give myself an orgasm they just don't particularly care right so they're not going to make a lot of effort on their own Mm -hmm. show a lot of initiative but if you're like wait a second hold on can we get into this position or uh oh you just came like well give me you know put two fingers (laughs) here or do that or get down there and do something yeah yeah, yeah. they are 
are most of the time going to comply. And so you can still get some pleasure out of that. Well, that's cool. Well, that is good. So if you're not a super assertive person, probably stay away from casual sex with these tall, dark Yes. <laughs> there are plenty of other guys <laughs> yes. who are not like this who would be better lovers for, for casual encounters. And of course, when being involved in casual encounters, it's always good to use protection. It is a good idea to use protection for STIs and or pregnancy depending on what your you know set of genitals and uh, reproductive <laughs> organs right. may be yes so that probably segues perfectly uh-huh. you know you being the segue queen i'm going to i'm <laughs> going to take that mantle and we will segue into the rest of episode 22 which is about using those condoms appropriately and accurately and as dr jana calls it wrap your thing right the science of sex goes deeper so today on the show, we're going to talk about condom errors. Yeah. Wrap your thing right. Wrap your thing right. We still haven't even named the episode this. Why are you doing this I'm to sorry. me? Our guest today is Dr. Cynthia Graham, who's a professor of sexual and reproductive health at the University of Southampton in the UK. She's also a research fellow at the Kinsey Institute here in the US. Cynthia obtained her PhD in clinical psych from McGill University and then her master's in clinical psych from the University of Glasgow. She is also a fellow of the British Psychological Society and the Society for Scientific Study of Sexuality here in the US. She's also the editor-in-chief of the Journal of Sex Research, one of the two largest sex academic journals. So I get emails from Cynthia on a regular basis asking me to be a peer reviewer of... Uh, of oh, nice. So she sounds legit. She's, she's, she is she's very legit. legit. Okay, yes, cool. yes, yes. It's always nice to see you know her her emails in my in my bail, mailbox and sure. also kind of dread them because <laughs> I'm like I don't have time to review all these papers you want me to review. <laughs> anyway, she has also published over 140 articles in peer-reviewed journals and 40 book chapters and her research interests focus on women's sexual and reproductive health, in particular the behavioral effects of hormonal contraceptives, sexual excitation and sexual inhibition, sexual problems in women and condom use errors and problems which is what we're going to talk about today. Dr. Cynthia Graham, welcome to the Science of Sex podcast. Thank you. It's great to be here. Yay. So we're going to talk about condoms and condom errors. And I, I feel like we've been actively talking and educating about condoms for decades now. So like if people would only listen to scientists and public health professionals, everybody would be using condoms and wrapping it up and doing it correctly all the time. I think it's more complicated than that. <laughs> I don't think it's just listening, just listening to doctors and researchers is probably not going to do it. <laughs> yeah, so the, it, it doesn't seem to be the case. What's going on? Well, I think, you know, condoms have been promoted for a long time. I think that there's been an emphasis on using them correctly. There, there has been an emphasis on that. There hasn't been much emphasis in, in promoting condoms in some of the things that people are really worried about, like how it affects pleasure, for example. That, that's mm. something that only recent studies have looked at. And that's one of the common things that people say. Condoms just don't feel good. Not everybody, but quite a few people who use condoms stop using condoms because they, they complain of reduced sensation. Is there any science to back that, though, that it feels the same? You know, that's the always, it doesn't feel that's the same. That's a great same. question. There is some, Joe. There's some research suggesting that. There's also some research suggesting that condoms don't affect pleasure as much as people may think. Then finally, to just add to the complexity, some people actually say sex feels better with condoms. Hmm. Perhaps, probably, we think, because they feel protected. And if, if they're really worried about pregnancy or they're really worried about STIs or both, then that's an important thing um, to, feel, to feel that you're, 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 you're protected. Right. Um, but a lot of people do complain, and research backs that up. And this research is pretty much all self-report, right? How it feels to the people who are using yeah. them. Yes, there actually was, there was recently one experimental study mm-hmm. that looked really at, at what happens to sensation kind of in the lab mm. and actually, you know, really looking at sensation in the penis. And there was some evidence that condom use did reduce sensation. So, so there is some evidence to back that up, but it varies a lot between people, and it, it varies a lot in terms of whether the condom use experience overall is positive. You know, if, if the condom fits, mm-hmm. <laughs> if the condom fits, and you are using it properly and so on, you have better chance of, of condoms not sort of affecting sensation as much. If the condom doesn't fit, it falls off, <laughs> it's too tight or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, then that's going to affect the pleasure for sure. Right, right. How much is 
sort of the level of experience with it correlated? Because I, I find a lot of the time guys who are kind of convinced that condoms aren't going to be pleasurable or are going to be a, a pain in the neck or whatever, and they don't use them, of course they're not like very skilled at them and they're not going to be good users. But then all these guys who are, are kind of very confident and experienced with condoms, they seem to not have a problem with it. I think there is some, I think there's some truth to that. And, and definitely we know from studies that attitudes about condoms, if you have negative attitudes about condoms, you're less likely, not surprisingly, you're less likely to use them consistently. Mm. So um, I, I think that's right. And certainly in terms of skill. And one of the things we know from research, some of our research, but other research too, recent study I did here in the UK, have found that people often overestimate, you know, they're very confident about using them, Mm. but actually if you break it down and watch them use a condom, they make more errors than than they think. Wow. So people are much more confident that they know how to use condoms than they actually know how to use condoms. Yeah. I mean, some people, women women in particular say often that they, they're not confident. And, and women, of course, are sometimes the ones quite often who apply condoms to mm. male partners. But uh, so women are, it seems like women are more likely to say, uh, you know, I'm not really sure. It's, um, and sometimes it's say, they say, actually, it's the guy's job to know. Yeah. But overall, I think people are definitely, they think they know how to use condoms. They don't think knowledge is, is the problem. Um, but if you actually watch them, observe them, they, they make a lot of errors. <laughs> well, it makes sense, though, because guys are overconfident in thinking that they're really good in bed. It's a, two things. Are, they always say they're taller than they are, and they always say that they're better at sex. So, of course, it makes sense that the, their overconfidence is affecting their condom use. I love your conventional it, wisdom, Yeah, Joe. I yeah. try. Mm-hmm. It could be that, yeah. There's some consistency there. <laughs> okay, but let's set the stage a little bit. Um, what's the state of affairs at the moment in terms of basic condom use? Like, how much of an issue is condom non-use right now in the UK or the US? It's de- non- condom non-use is, is still an issue, although actually looking at the statistics, which I checked again before this program, <laughs> there's actually been a trend for condom use among young people to increase over the last 30 years. Okay, which that's I don't good. Think is, is what people maybe would think, but that's what the, the really, really good stats show. But to answer your question, non-use is, is definitely an issue. The U.S. It's estimated, and this is really good data, it's not that recent, but it's nationally representative data, about a quarter of men and less than that, about 20, 20% of women, used a condom at their last intercourse, so last penetrative sex. And in terms of the U.K., similar stat, but it, it, it's such a problem here in the U.K. that actually a recent government campaign was just started aiming to try and increase condom use. So we're hoping that also means there's more funding for research. Right. as well in this area. So non-use is an issue, but actually a probably bigger issue, in my view, is not non-use, but inconsistent use and incorrect, incorrect use. Incorrect use. Yeah. But when you say, you know, 20, 25 percent of people have used a condom during their last intercourse, that, yes. I'm assuming, includes a lot of uh, interactions with long-term mm-hmm. romantic partners where people are not Absolutely. sort of necessarily needing to use condoms because there are no uh, worries about STIs and they may be preventing pregnancy in other ways. So I I think maybe more interesting or more informative would be the percentage of people who are not using condoms for casual sex or with new partners. Well, the figures vary, but that's a great question because one really consistent finding in this area is that people are more likely to use condoms with casual partners. Woohoo! Okay, that's good news. Yeah, Yeah, and and the other thing that, that, and I'm sure you've heard about this, that a lot of people will stop using condoms when they feel that their relationship is more committed or established or whatever, or longer term. Mm. That's really a common time when, when couple, heterosexual couples will stop using condoms and switch to something like the pill or, you know, the implant or something else. Um, so that's a really, that in, in other countries too, across, not just in the U.S., that's a really consistent finding. So, ca- but, you know, casual sex, condoms are more likely to be used, but certainly not as often as they should be. Uh, in terms of protecting against both pregnancy and sexually transmitted infections. But are we talking about like maybe 40% or are we talking about more like 80%? Not 80%. It's, it's rarely as high as 80%. It, it's a difficult one to answer because it, condom use is generally higher in younger people than adults. Mm. It's really quite low if you look at, at older, not older people, but older, yeah. you older know, adults. adults. Even, mm. even when actually they're engaging in what may be really risky sex, you know, with new partners, they don't know their history, things like that. Um, condom use is higher among some ethnic groups, so it's higher among black and Hispanic individuals. 
Uh, and this, again, comes from a big, you know, nationally representative sample. So it's difficult to kind of give a figure, but 80% would be on the high side, right, um, right. even for casual sex. Yeah, it's it's interesting you, you're noting the, the older people kind of using condoms less often. We tend to think that young people are the more responsible ones and they're taking all the risks and uh, yeah. they're not listening to the recommendations so of doctors, of, of public health professionals. Mm-hmm. But this is a pretty consistent finding, right, that when older adults or adults kind of are having these more risky forms of sex like casual and new partners, Mm -hmm. they're less likely to use condoms. Yeah, and there's evidence, of course, that sexually transmitted infections are really rising in that group of Mm. older people. Generally, STI rates, and certainly in the U.S. and the U.K., where, where I'm based, are increasing. Interestingly, for both the States and for the U.K., pregnancy rates are dropping in terms of unintended pregnancies rates are dropping Mm. but sexually transmitted infection rates are increasing so do you think underlying the mm -hmm. importance of condoms right so you think people are using maybe more of these other birth control methods maybe long acting kind of birth control methods exactly yeah long acting reversible methods or larks as they're called (laughs) are really being um, encouraged very strongly both here in in the uk and in the u.s here in the uk there have even been incentives given to doctors who prescribe them financial incentives oh wow (laughs) yeah so there there is a real push and one of the things that um i feel quite strongly about is although i think these methods these larks are, they're really effective methods. There's lots of pluses about them. One thing they don't do is protect against sexually transmitted infections. Right, right, yeah. So At all. So, <laughs> so that's a big drawback. <laughs> From some of the research that, that I've seen, a lot of people are more concerned about pregnancy than they're concerned about STIs. And so if yep. there is a lark in place, they might forgo the condom, whereas if there wasn't a lark in place they would have used a condom with that partner. I think that's a really important point. And and again, that's one of the things that, although studies often show mixed results, that's a very consistent finding that young people in particular actually tend to be much more concerned about the risk of pregnancy. Mm. Um, And so I think your speculation there is spot on. Um, Mm -hmm. Okay, now, this is just sort of in general condom use, but as you were saying, you're more concerned to some extent about people not using them consistently and uh, not using them correctly. You know, what is the right way to use a condom (laughs) to to kind of start with the basics? And then what are some of those condom errors that people use or some methods that that in in which these uh, condoms fail? Yeah, step one, you should put it on your penis. That's the first thing, right? Yeah, that is that. And and actually, when sex... You're right. When sex starts, not kind of halfway through either. Okay. Um, Good, Joe. You so got one of these so things many, right. There are so many errors. Mm-hmm. There are, and I think one thing that's really important is that the, for a long time, people didn't really look at errors and problems. They looked at consistency of use. They mm-hmm. looked at was a condom put on or not. They didn't look at whether people took the condom off, you know, before ejaculation occurred. They didn't look at whether they made all kinds of errors. It's only really been in the last 20 years, roughly, um, that, that quite a few studies have been done now. So errors, most common error that we found in a big review we did of, of studies is not using condoms from start to finish of sex. So taking the condom off before sex is over or putting the condom on after sex has started. We call it incomplete use. It's really frequent. And one of the reasons that that happens is that men who are maybe more likely to have erection problems, some men are more vulnerable to, to that than others, are more likely, kind of not surprisingly, to take condoms off before the end of sex. Right. And so that's one. Some other errors, putting the condom on upside down, that's quite (laughs) a frequent error, and not realizing it. Um, Mm. (laughs) Not using water-based lubricants. That's not so common, but it still occurs. So using oil-based lubricants, which we know you know, destroys condoms, basically. Do not um, use oil-based lube with condoms, people. Do not use oil-based, <laughs> yeah. And that message has been out there for a long time, hasn't yeah. it? But it's still an error that we find. Not squeezing air from the tip of the condom mm. is an important one. Mm. And, and some of these, I said, some of these errors are more likely to be associated with problems. So breakage and slippage, which are important problems, are more likely to happen if you do some of these things, for example. Um, So the condom's more likely to to slip off uh, if you don't put it on correctly. (laughs) If you withdraw, if taking the condom off incorrectly is also a frequent error. Okay, explain that, taking the condom off incorrectly. Yeah, so so people don't always follow the, the steps. And after intercourse, what you're meant to do is taking the condom off 
is hold the base of the condom and then take it off, you know, carefully roll it off. People don't always do that. You know, it's the heat of the moment and it's in the dark often, not always. But, mm-hmm. And so they'll take the condom off. And, of course, there's a risk of, of possible semen sort of um, Leakage. You know, leaking. Leaking, yeah, is the word used. So all of these things, I mean, there really are a lot of errors. Yeah, I found um, that it's sort of my own personal experience that that is an, a super, super common thing that so many men do is just once they're done, they just pull out without holding the base of the condom. And yes. at that point, after they've orgasmed, they are less hard, right? They're somewhat yeah. flaccid or completely flaccid so at that point. So the chances of that leakage happening, of the, the, the condom kind of staying in the vagina yeah. is so high and they don't do it. So I always mm-hmm. advise women themselves to pay attention to that, to sort of not let That's guys pull tip. out. That is a great tip too um, because actually we know that women from our research, done with the, the Kinsey condom research team, we know that women are involved in, of course they're involved in condom use mm-hmm. as well, right. heterosexual couples. And, and, and so so and actually, they often don't know as much about putting the, you know, how to put the condom on properly, even though they're the one applying it mm. quite often. And actually, men often say they really like women applying condoms. That's what we found in our qualitative studies. Mm. They find it a turn on. And uh, although some, you know, again, sometimes we had one man in the study say he really liked it when his partner put the condom on. The condom was between her teeth. Well, of course, uh, that's an oh. error. <laughs> Oops. That's an right there. <laughs> um, but, but overall, men find it quite, you know, quite a turn-on for their partners to be involved rather than them having to sort of fumble. Well, not all men do that, but, you know, for, for them to be the ones responsible for condom use on their own. Right. You can certainly make it kind of a little more sexy and integrated. Yeah. Less clinical. Less clinical, yeah. yeah. Integrated in the sexual play as you're putting exactly, it on. Yeah. I mean, if condoms are used correctly, which they, they very rarely are, perfect <laughs> rates failure rates are about 2%, but we know that typical failure rates are around 15%. Wow, so if people were using condoms the way they're absolutely supposed to be used, only 2% of the time they would fail because of some factory error or something like that? Exactly. Well, yeah, and and that's an important point is that condoms failing because of some kind of manufacturer error, the chances of that are very low because condoms have the really, really strict tests that they have to Mm. undergo Mm. um, before they're, you know, they're approved. It's quite difficult, as it is, you know, other area of drugs, for example, being approved. They have to go through a lot of, a lot of testing. Um, before they're on the market. So it's usually, and we've looked at this as a, as a research team, it's usually user error. It's not usually the condom, the product error right. um, that's the issue. So it's things that you know can be improved. Hopefully. With user error, uh, the failure rate goes up to 15%. Yes. Wow. That's yes. a lot of user error that could be prevented. A lot, yeah. yeah. And there are a lot of other problems. There are pro- other problems I haven't mentioned are things. The big problem that was under research for a long time and in the last, as I said, last 10, 15 years, many more studies are problems that men have with fit and feel of condoms. And also women have problems with the feel, not the fit, but the feel of condoms as well. So, you know, really kind of newer research in the last 10 years is women, you know, who are using condoms with a male partner report discomfort, irritation. I mean, things that really would put you off using condoms, sure. clearly. And men, men, there are a lot of problems with fit and feel that men have and that have been under, under-researched. What do we do about this? Is it maybe about people experimenting with different materials? Like nowadays we have polyurethane, polyisoprene, sheepskin, lambskin, although those don't really protect against STIs. I think it's definitely experimentation. And and actually we've been working on an intervention which is all about using condoms. It might sound strange, solo practice, but we we do actually, (laughs) as part of this intervention, have men practicing using condoms without a partner present, but also giving them a condom kit that is filled with different kinds of condoms, different sizes, different textures, different lube. And the men in our studies have loved this condom kit. Mm. Um, it's like choose your own adventure books. <laughs> yeah. And there's a real assortment of uh, not just different sizes, but different textures. Uh, different sizes is important, though, as well. We, you yeah, know, let's men, talk men about the size, size fit. Yeah. It's not one size <laughs> well, fits all? There, there are companies now making up to over 90 different sizes of condoms. 9-0. 9-0. Damn. Exactly. There's one in the in the UK that um, has been around a, a while, and they actually have a condom. They call it a fit kit <laughs> that's available online to download. So men measure their penises mm-hmm. and then find the right size for them. And they have, I think it's something like 95, 95 Jeez. sizes of condoms. Wow. Both in terms the, uh, of length and in terms of girth, right? Both, yes. 
There's not that many shoe yeah. sizes. The penis is coming <laughs> that many sizes, Cynthia? No, 95. Can I get the square condom? Like, you should. it should be circular, right? <laughs> no, I don't think there's a square condom. <laughs> yes. different, they're, they're, the newer condoms are pretty cool, and they're much thinner. Then, um, you know, again, going, going back to talking about people that are kind of older adults, they probably wouldn't have had anything like no. the variety that, that we have now. What are some factors that increase the risk of people making some of these condom errors that could be potentially prevented? What are some like personal factors or situational factors that increase or decrease the risk? There are quite a few. So situational factors, one of the, probably the most studied one is not surprising is alcohol use. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and also drug use. That's been, there's been a lot of research on this. Actually, the findings overall do suggest that alcohol increases the likelihood of making errors. Some personality factors, things like se- sexual sensation seeking have been looked at. Those have not been studied so much. Poor fitting condoms, which we've just been talking mm. about, makes errors more likely. And then one thing that people have looked at only a little bit is how sexually aroused someone is. So mm. if, if somebody is in really high, high, very high state of arousal, they may be more likely to make errors as well. Not knowing the steps, you know, thinking you know, thinking you know how to put condoms on, but not really knowing. Mm-hmm. That definitely increases errors. And, and I mentioned negative attitudes towards condom use. Right. That's, we know that that's something that is linked to also having problems and making errors. Would some of the interventions you were talking about earlier maybe help, like the solo practicing masturbation with condoms? I think, I think definitely. We haven't, I guess we haven't broken down the intervention that much, and the studies we we're doing are still at this sort of early kind of pilot study stage. We're hoping to do a larger study here in the U.K. quite soon, a, a really big kind of randomized trial mm. of the intervention. But, uh, but absolutely, because, you know, it, what we emphasize is practice without a partner, so without the pressure and without the kind of partner right. observing how you do. And um, one of the things we've kind of stressed in, in our intervention is, just not only the practice but the focus on pleasure and and sadly what happens when men have erection problems often is their focus on pleasure goes out the window and they focus on losing their erection <laughs> and yeah. they worry about i mean anxiety about erection loss is a big is a big part of it so in our intervention we really focus on what feels good how to try and you know how that varies with different condoms varies in different situations as well and and again erection loss and condom fit and feel problems that i mentioned really go hand in hand. Mm. So a lot of men who have erection problems say condom doesn't fit well, condom doesn't feel. So these things are really inter interlinked. Cynthia, there was a hot button word last spring, and I'm sure you're familiar with it, stealthing. Yes, Supposedly stealthing. men were removing the condom during sex without their partner yeah. knowing. How much of that yes. was real? Was it hype? from the, Because it all started on Reddit and then it blew up because the mass media picked yeah. up on it. How much of stealthing are we seeing? I, I, that's, a, that's a very good question. And actually, we don't have a lot of data about that yet. So stealthing, yeah, removing the condom, you know, without your partner knowing, but intentionally removing it. I had a student this year, an undergraduate student in psychology who did a study with women and asked specifically mm. asked that question. It was a small study, of course, but a lot of the women, I can't remember the percentage, but quite a lot of the women in her focus groups said, yes, this this, this had happened. Yeah. For a long time, for a long time, there's been, it's not the same, but it's related. There's been the idea, um, the worry in, in, some, in some studies, men have reported they worry about their partner pricking holes in a condom. <laughs> right. Um, so this uh, is the equivalent kind of, of that. So that Sabotage, yeah. <laughs> condom sabotage has been that idea has been around for a while. But yeah, the stealth thing um, thing got a lot of a lot of attention, and, and there have been a few articles on it. But I don't think we have a lot of data on that yet. Yeah, I remember when that came out because it came out like a week after that happened to me. Oh, yeah. really? Yeah, wow. and I was like, oh, come on! And then I tried to find some data on it, and I really couldn't. There's I don't no think much. we've asked that much. No. In studies, one of the one of the most well-known studies is not in the area of sex research, but it was a paper in a legal journal. Right. About I remember because reading that one. Really, yeah. There's really big implications of this. Right. The argument was whether it's considered rape or not. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. That's right. Whether it was, and also the possibility of things like HIV transmission. Mm. Mm. Uh, that was raised around the stealth thing, um, uh, but how often it how often it occurs, I don't think we know. I was reading that legal paper, uh, and I was thinking about it because when it happened, the first thing I did was call up some uh, cops here in New York City who I know and lawyers, and and be like, is this something that I could press charges for? Would anyone take mm-hmm. this seriously? Because I I absolutely agreed to have sex with this person yeah. with a condom, 
but then I did not agree on having sex without a condom and everybody said no chance like no one's going to really? take this seriously yeah because hmm. I wasn't sure what you were going to say there. I thought maybe they would take it serious. Well, I think it should be taken seriously. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> Myself. And it maybe will do. It maybe will do in in future because it's quite recent that that all came out. Yeah, yeah. The cop um, literally like laughed out loud. He's like, really? no way. Wow. Are you kidding me? <laughs> So, yeah. so, so thank you. let's oh. talk about these stealthers and the people who are resistant. What if you are on the wrong end of one of these? How how can you handle it? Well, I've mm-hmm. <laughs> not had sex with that partner. Yet, <laughs> yeah. yeah, kick them out of your that's house. That's a difficult one to answer. I mean, and the one thing I'm sure that people would do is is make sure that they follow up with testing, and you know, uh, because there, there there is a risk involved. Condom resistance tactics are a bit different, I think. Because I think a lot of it's down to communication between partners. So, you know, to find out why is somebody resisting you? What's the reason? Is it because they think condoms don't feel good? Is it because it indicates a lack of trust? What, you know, what, what's, what's underlying that? We know that partners don't often speak about condom use. They don't, yeah. they don't, you know, they don't plan ahead to use condoms. So that's one of, the, one of the other things that really needs to be done a lot more. Not just how to use a condom, you know, technically, the steps. But how do you negotiate condom use? Right. Sex ed doesn't often, you know, involve teaching young people uh, how to do that. Yeah. Sadly. All they do is show you a banana and uh, you <laughs> exactly. know, roll it down the banana. Yeah, condom, yeah, a banana or even a even a penile model, but <laughs> right. But even if it's that, that still, it's not it's not what people find difficult. It's more, you know, how do you insist on condom use if if somebody doesn't want to use a condom? Right. I think that is often an issue. I've seen a bunch of data on women often saying they're not confident insisting on condom use if their partner doesn't want to use them, and so. Yeah. They get themselves yeah. into the scenario where they are intending or they would like to use condoms, uh-huh. but the male partner is like, eh, no, or kind of pushes, uses yeah. some of those resistant tactics and, and the women cave. Yes, yeah. And I think it can happen the other way too. I sure. think I think in some cases men want to use condoms and their female partner doesn't. So it's not always that one way. But I think, yeah. I mean, the, the, the studies on condom resistance tactics are really interesting. Um, because there's such a wide range of tactics that people use, uh, you know, getting across the idea that basically there, there's no way that they would have an STI or, um, you know, or, or so, some reason that it, that is quite convincing to the partner. I know we talked about kind of how much condoms are used or not used to begin with. I just wanted to hear your thoughts on kind of the relevance of condom use in today's world where we have things like PrEP and vaccinations against some things like HPV and so on. So that's a very timely, that's a very good question um, because both here in the UK there's a huge emphasis right now on PrEP and a massive trial starting here actually in England very soon. Oh, what's PrEP? I'm sorry. I hate to interrupt the two scientists talking here. I was going to say that. Sorry. PrEP is pre-exposure prophylaxis and it has been found, so you're taking it basically when you're, you're not HIV infected and it has been found to be very effective in preventing HIV infection. I mean, the data is extremely strong. It lowers it lowers the sort of um, viral. It also affects viral load too. But the big thing is that um, it's being used by men who have sex with men, and it, it's being shown to be very effective. Wow. But there are some there are some reasons that condoms are still relevant. And then I think that don't get very much you know, publicity, if you like. Um, First of all, we know there are issues with uptake of PrEP and accessibility to PrEP as well. Um, There are also, the the probably less discussed, are there problems with men adhering to PrEP correctly? So taking, some men start taking it and then stop taking it, don't take it consistently, a little bit like like condom use. Like breast control almost. Yeah, the the other thing is that it, it, you know, PrEP is amazing, I think, as as a new, you know, treatment uh, option that we have. It's, it's, it's massive, but it doesn't protect against other sexually transmitted infections. Mm. So condoms are still the only method that does that currently. And so I think what, you know, in talking to colleagues that work more in this area, some in the UK, some in the US, that work on, on the topic of PrEP, they feel that 
until PrEP has become really more widely accepted and used correctly, then prevention of, of HIV as well as other STIs will be reliant on male condoms. And, and this is anecdotal experience, obviously, from my friends here, my specifically gay male friends here in New York City who are all seem to be on PrEP these days, and they're yes. pretty consistent in their PrEP use and, and adherence to, uh, to taking it. And they've all pretty much stopped using condoms, wow. and they've moved... Yeah. Psychologically, they have kind of moved into this uh, way of thinking that all these other things that you might get is just mm-hmm. not a big deal. It's a shot, yeah, this, yeah. a single shot or yeah. a single couple of pills that you yeah. take for chlamydia or gonorrhea, yeah. and, and the other things are just not that big of a deal. Yeah, I think, I mean, that, that probably points exactly why STI rates are rising. And by the way, not, this is also true for heterosexual men and women too. But, sure. um, and, and there have been some really good documentary programs over here interviewing young people, and that's what they say, that, you know, these STIs, they're treatable, and it just means a dose, and then you're fine again. So I think they're... There is, but actually we've had some real outbreaks both in the UK and I know in the US too mm. of things like syphilis, gonorrhea, little pockets, areas where they've, uh, the rates have just gone through the roof. So I think it's really important to keep condoms on the agenda and not to, not to think that pre- there's no way that PrEP should make them um, irrelevant. Um, they, they still should be a kind of mainstay. So talking about all of these issues, both uptake and proper accurate use, there have been a lot of interventions over the years that have, people have tried to do with various groups. What do we know works? Yeah, that's a very good question because there have been a lot of interventions um, that have tried. Some of the problems have been that the findings show that the interventions are often really complex, and so we don't really know what is helpful and what's not. Mm. That's one thing. A lot of them have actually had pretty disappointing results, especially kind of <laughs> long term and so you know a lot of funding has gone into some of these interventions we also thirdly know that a lot of the interventions that were developed to try and improve condom use decrease STIs have been really resource intensive so they've really taken a lot of time for people in clinics and Mm. at least here in the UK and I'm sure it's the same in the US people in clinics don't have the time to do that so we're there's there's more attention to paid to trying to develop brief interventions Mm-hmm. Our intervention, the one I talked about earlier, um, that's called the HIS, that's, and there's also the HERS, mm-hmm. so the Homework Intervention Strategy, that's largely home-based. So there's a very, very brief interaction with somebody, you know, to, to sort of just introduce the intervention and, and observe them the, um, applying condoms to see that they're doing correctly. But a lot of the early interventions had so many things, you know, so many different kind of components thrown in. That was a problem, I think. Now there's an emphasis on trying to break down, like, what is it actually, that, what's the effective ingredient right. in the intervention? But I think one of the problems, this is my view, is that the, the interventions haven't looked enough at sexual pleasure and how that's impacted by condom use. And that's really why people usually have sex. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, they, also, they might also have sex, you know, in, in order to try and have children and sure. so on. But having pleasure is really what, what it's about. <laughs> and so it's curious that the interventions haven't focused on that. If you're just a regular person out there in the world, not part of any interventions, probably not going to be part of any interventions, what are some things that you can do? to, if, 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 I don't know, we could come up with like a list of things that you can do both on the insertive partner side and on the receptive partner side to make sure condoms are being used and used properly. So a few of the things um, are, even though you're not in an intervention or whatever, you can still try and experiment with different condoms. Find the right fit and find not just the right fit, the right feel. Another one would be, this is something we found in our studies in England, is that a lot of people don't use additional lube. They don't use mm. lubricant with condoms. Oh. And in our fairly small studies so far, but, but the men who have done that have just found that really enhances their pleasure. So using additional lube, water-based lube. Planning ahead about using condoms mm-hmm. is one way to be sure that you're going to use them. And, so have um, them on you at all times. Don't leave the house exactly. without yeah. them. Yeah. Have them on you, absolutely. Have out, you know, ones that are not out of date, that haven't passed the expiry right. date. 
uh, don't keep them in your pocket of your of your jeans, that kind of thing. Well, let's go back to that. Is, there's an expiration date on condoms? Yes, there's an expiration date oh, on Joe, condoms. Oh, Joe, you really that's have been of out of this game for a long time. I've been out of it for time. a while, yes. Yeah. So is it like milk? Yeah, and that's one of the errors, Joe, that I didn't mention oh. is that yeah. um, people make is that you're meant to check the date on the package. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And really not to use out of, you know, out of the um, sell-by date on the, on the condom. <laughs> yep. I've got this rubber from 1988. Can I use yeah, it, d- Cynthia? Definitely don't <laughs> use it. Well, we, we think that quite a lot of men do do that kind of thing, that yeah. they keep the condoms around, you know, for a long time. But that's not good practice. And I think talking to your partner about using condoms, you know, mm-hmm. open communication about condom use just like about sex is, is really important. I think the experimenting and the exploring is... Mm-hmm. is probably the biggest one. What well, we were talking earlier, making sure that you're using them from start to finish. Yes. You don't take it out while and you're still in the middle of things. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yes. I mean, that's a really, in our studies, that's probably the most frequent error. And it's also one of the most serious errors to, mm. to, to not use the condoms from the beginning to the end of sex. There are, In terms of correct use, there are some really good, um, I've seen some on social media, on Twitter, for example, really good, very visual websites about how to use a condom correctly. There's, you know, there's little videos and so on. Uh, so it doesn't have to be like the condom, <laughs> the condom insert in the packet. People don't tend to look at those things. Yeah, we don't read directions. Yeah. That's, I think no, that's a universal no. thing. Just Google no. it, people. Google yes. it. Yes. We like YouTube <laughs> tutorials. <videos>. Yeah. <laughs> Google it. And there are some really cool resources about condoms. And uh, there's also, I mean, if you look online, there's some amazing condom adverts that you can see, you know, from lots of countries that really promote condom use. They're mm-hmm. very erotic. That would be another, I guess, piece of advice. Like, try to make it sexy. Try to integrate it into the, into the sexual yes, play. Yes, I said that. <laughs> Yes, trying to make it as erotic as, as you can. It doesn't have to be something. I mean, I think that one of the biggest things that people say is in the research we've done is that condom use interrupts things. It interrupts the flow. Right. Mm. It, you know, there is a way to try and get it to be part of the flow. You know, it may be that pe- some people will say they'll always prefer sex without a condom, but I think there are ways to make condom use more pleasurable. The way to do that is not to rush condom use. We know that. Right. I was going to mention that to, some of your research yeah. has looked into rushed use. Rushed condom use is, is, a, is a big issue. Um, and one of the studies we did do with um, young black men who have sex with men, rushing sex was associated with a lot of errors. Um, so give yourself use. enough time. Yeah. To do yeah. Involve your partner. You know, male partner or female partner, have them be part of it, and uh, rather than the, you know, the focus being on one person who has to do it right, and also bring the condoms as well. There's still yeah. a lot of evidence right. that women don't like carrying condoms, yeah. that they feel a stigma about mm-hmm. having condoms. I find it quite sad in this day and age that that that's the we case. Still have but, that. Um, but yeah. we hear that. Yeah, we hear that from our studies of young women over here in the UK that they still feel. That, that it's it's a bad sign if, so if a man sad. knows that they're they're carrying a condom. Yeah, I mean nothing interrupts a flow more than having to say, hey, "Excuse me, I got to go down to Walgreens. I'll be back in 20 minutes." <laughs> right. That exactly. certainly th- slows right. things so down. Be prepared. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. yeah. Have it easily accessible. I have I have this like little tin box that sits just on top of my headboard <laughs> of the bed, and so I can literally right. not interrupt the play at yeah. all. I can just reach over, grab the condom while yeah. everything is still going on, and, uh, and so yeah. And have it. Lube as and well. lube is Having right there too. Yep. Different yep. kinds and so on. We found a really interesting thing in our studies that are qualitative studies where men and women, especially women, we've found, talk a lot about hating the smell of condoms, mm. hating the taste of condoms. Again, there's different ones you can try. Right. Find um, a one that you uh, do like. Yeah. Find smell. one, you know, if you don't like the strawberry flavor. <laughs> <laughs> then, which we've had women say, uh, then then try try something else. Flavored condoms aren't for everybody. Some people actually don't like them. They find they're very artificial tasting. And um, so, look at the sort of aesthetics of condom use. Look at, at smells and how it. Find one that um, feels good, both you know to touch as well. Right. And they do. The, the, the people really say that that varies a lot. Right. And don't use one if there was a bush in the White House. If it was from that no. year, don't use that one. <laughs> no, exactly. <laughs>
<laughs> Dr. Cynthia Graham, thank you so much for being on the Size and Sex podcast. This was great. Thanks for asking me. Well, Dr. Jana, that's a wrap. That is a wrap indeed. Get it what I did there? <laughs> well done. The well done, The title of the show is uh-huh, Wrap Your Thing uh-huh, Right. You saw that, right? Uh-huh, absolutely. Right. <laughs> I mean, I saw that coming you from did? miles away. But All right. I can't. Pardon the pun. Uh, anyway, uh, so that is a wrap on this episode. Dr. Jana, before we go, should we mention anything? We should mention that I have an event coming up on March 22nd in Brooklyn if you want to show up in person or you can watch the live stream on Facebook. And it is an event about open relationships and whether they are for you or not because they're not for everybody. Oh, this is one of those sex socials. It's one of the sex science socials. Science. I always forget sex that word. science social. Cool. I All think right. at this point you really are not forgetting <laughs> it. You're just trying to piss me off. But that's okay. Yeah. That's okay. All right. So yes, it's a sex science social. A couple hours of talking about what science knows about who open relationships might be good for, well suited for, and who they might be more trouble than they're worth. So if you want to show up in person or get tickets for the live stream, you can find that on Eventbrite as Sex and Social Open Relationships. And there's information about that on my website, drjana.com, as well. Nice. Now, we should mention that next week we're going to talk to one of your BFFs, right? <laughs> Isn't he like sort of like your Yoda to your Luke Skywalker or something <laughs> like that? Yeah, yeah. That's a great analogy. Yes, we're going to talk to Dr. Rich Savin-Williams, who used to be my PhD advisor, mentor, whatever you want to call him, yeah. uh, for a good six years, uh, the, the time that I spent at Cornell. Wow. And we did a lot of that research that we're going to be talking about with him on the show. I, we did that research together, and it's about the mostly straights. The mostly straights. Yes, the people who are not entirely, completely, exclusively heterosexual, but who might not be bi enough to consider themselves bi or be considered by other people as bi. So who are in this kind of gray area of mostly predominantly straight, but with a little twist. Okay. With a little bit of same-sex I, you know, I have Interest. a feeling I'm going to be uncomfortable next week because I, I'm going to be like the third wheel on a date. So <laughs> can you put in a word for Rich and be like, hey, my friend Joe's here too. So like just don't ignore me even though we're like we're hot and buddies. Well, you know, uh, you know it, it might end up being like you interviewing the two of us about our research. Oh, but you don't like it when I ask you questions. Is that going to be OK? <laughs> no, your questions are getting better and better. Well, what do you mean getting better? What, were you saying they weren't good at one point? Well, you know, you're a lot more confused about the science than you are now, I think. We should get out of here before things get really rough. (laughs) All right. We'll see you next week. (laughs) Bye. The Science of Sex is produced in New York City. To connect with the hosts, go to drjana.com and joepartavila.com. Like us on Facebook at the Science of Sex Podcast or follow us on Twitter at Science of Sex Pod. For more sex science, read Dr. Jana's column at Forbes.com. This has been The Science of Sex. 